What's up, everybody? We're back with the Flix Fix. I'm Spaz. This is Kristen. This week, we're talking about Kong Skull Island. Kristen, how are you? Hey, guys. So this this Sorry, series is like... I adjusted the gains, like, right as you started talking, <laughs> so I didn't know what it was going to sound like. Well, we'll get the you and me talking over each other and being terrible at it, like, out of the way right away, so that's a plus. <laughs> so we've managed to kind of schedule this properly, so this is actually becoming a series, properly this yeah. time. Um, we are going to be doing Skull Island, which is the second of the Godzilla trilogy that we're working on at the moment. A uh, little programming note for people. I wasn't sure whether I was going to do this or not, but I am. Kristen and I have done uh, video reviews in the past. Most of it, if not all of it, is Marvel. So um, many of you may not have heard that, especially if you're listening to this in a podcast form. So what I am slowly doing for the weeks that Kristen and I aren't creating new movie content for you guys, I've pulled out these old videos. I've pulled the audio. I've tried keyword being tried to clean up the audio a little bit because some of it's a little messy google hangout was not the greatest platform ever nope. and i will be releasing some of those in the near future uh as filler on weeks that we're not giving you brand new stuff there's uh there's uh, civil war there's black panther there's a whole lot of conversation around infinity war and endgame and there's there is that big marathon review of the first 19 marvel movies that you guys have heard us mention before also, a very, very old Google Hangout over on Kristen's channel, uh, where we did Suicide Squad, and we're going to try and find the audio from Jurassic World as well. So even when we're not creating new stuff, we're going to be trying to give you guys stuff. So please stay tuned. Please show some love to the Flix Fix brand that I'm, you know, hesitantly trying to create here. I do appreciate. No, I think that's what it's called now. You were going to try and rename it. This is what it's called now. Well, yeah. Uh, the reaction to this last time, um, I, I, I wish it had been a little bit better. I wish I had promoted it a little bit better. I have had a lot of, of you guys come to me on Twitter, etc., after the fact, saying that you liked it. So until unless something changes, I am going to stick to the uh, Tuesday at 9 p.m. Toronto, Canada time as the release dates for this. So if you guys are trying to watch me try to have anything resembling a schedule that's what we're going to stick with for now um but yeah we're, we're here we're doing the second in, installment in the godzilla trilogy it is kong skull island uh before we get into initial thoughts of the movie we're going to do what we did last time and we're going to start off with the cast because the cast in this movie is fucking fantastic well, it's also a bunch of Marvel people. <laughs> well, I, I was going to get there eventually. Samuel L. Jackson, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson. I mean... That's, that's all of them, really. And, I mean, the other two are being their characters in this movie. I just think Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury in everything. He's everything. Yeah, Nick Fury. Everything. Uh, I also feel like the characters themselves in the movie were a lot better than in Godzilla. Yeah, I, I was listening back to the Godzilla thing that Still we did two weeks ago. Still don't remember any of their names. I will be calling them by the actor's name, because that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've got stupid notes, uh, like last time, so I've sort of tried to keep names and whatever, but it is really hard to say. Well, you know, and then Samuel L. Jackson did this and then whatever. But... Uh, Nick Fury and Captain Marvel and Loki are all in this. Uh, but not to, not to be overshadowed, though, uh, John C. Riley and, I think, particularly John Goodman. Uh, oh, yeah, John Goodman was really good in this. He's really, like, 
never mind the years that we saw him on Roseanne, like because that's going to be the thing for a lot of people. But he's really good and really. Uh, I don't want to say intense because it it sounds like such a go-to description, but like he's very easy to believe that he's passionate about something, and he's definitely mm-hmm. passionate about what he's doing here. Um, he plays the he plays the continuation of Monarch, which we got introduced to us in the last movie. Monarch, uh, we we mentioned it in the last podcast, being the thread through these three movies is is much more a continuity thing than I even realized it is it is very different i know i know you've got company while you're watching these and you may may agree or disagree with me it's completely different watching a movie when you know you're about to talk about it yeah it's complete like i'm i i try not to but i do look at it a lot like when when i'm doing like the wrestling reviews and stuff like that everything sort of gets broken up into segments and then this happened, and then this person turned, and, and that kind of thing. It's not as different as, as you might want to believe. Sorry, I'm scrolling up to the uh, where I have the Wikipedia open, so that I can kind of keep track of where we are in the movie. Okay, so, I mean, we, we focused a lot last time on that sort of opening montage of images and, and whatever... We don't open with that this because they, they, they sort of hold it off a little bit and they do do that flashback thing. We start off in a flashback of 1944 and over the opening logos, over the opening credits. We don't actually see the firefight, but we hear the gunshots of the firefight and we see the two planes come crashing down. And it is the planes of young Hank and young uh, Gunpei, I think is how you pronounce it. Yes. Um, Who have just been trying to shoot each other, kill each other. They crash. They're both fine, of course, because it's a movie. They both land right next to each oh, other. Oh, it's in a it's World War Two, by the way. It's 1944, is why these pilots are there. Right. Um, but it is a pretty cool spot of you know, there's there's an idea, especially when not so much with monster movies, but definitely with uh, specifically alien invasion movies. It's like the only thing that's going to co- stop human beings from killing each other is if something else comes along. Um, I think it's an awesome it's an awesome uh, theme that you see in most specifically Independence Day is where I really think it because in Independence Day two they claimed that like there'd been no Earth conflict for like 20 years and everybody in the theater laughs out loud. But you see these two guys and they've crashed so they can't shoot each other anymore. They both draw their guns and they both take their shots and they both miss and the one pulls out the sword and they just chase each other and they run through the forest because you can clearly do that when you've just crashed your plane. They make, it yeah. to the, they make it to the cliff, and the two of them are staring each other down, and just in the background, all you see is the one big hand come up, and the other big hand come up, and you see the rise of King Kong's face. And King Kong's terrifying. King Kong is a big, giant gorilla that could use you as an hors d'oeuvre. And if you're watching this movie for the first time, you assume that it's a typical, this is our monster, so we need, like, two warm bodies for him to kill so that we know he's a monster. And you sort of fade off thinking that as it goes into the opening montage, the press clippings, the advances of technology, the advances of politics and rah 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 But going into this, if you hadn't seen the movie before, you'd think, okay, this is a monster and those were his first two victims, wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess so. It's, I don't know, like... It's more it's more a trope of horror movies where, you know, like, 
I'll pick something cheesy like Scream, you you see, you know, the, the serial killer that pops up in the back of somebody's car just so that we know what the serial killer does. And then he goes on to affect our actual main characters. This, and then, spoiler alert, you know, Hank comes back way later in the movie. This sets you up for something that you don't quite expect, at least the first time. Um... I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself, as I didn't anyways. But we get the opening montage of, of the, monarch, the progression of Monarch, the progression of the technology, the progression of politics and where we are, and roddy roddy raw. Flash forward to 1973, and we are introduced to Randa and Brooks, who are the current representatives of Monarch. Randa is obviously John Goodman. Brooks is the other guy with him i don't know he's the a name. he's a geologist he's trying to uh he he got pulled into monarch because uh randa um was one of the only people to believe his hollow earth theory right and that and if you know if you know looking back on this it's like okay well hollow earth oh well that's where godzilla or that's where king kong was hiding, and then later on you find out that these monsters are everywhere, which is going to be King of the Monsters, which we're going to talk about later on. But he he's got himself, he's sort of pushed himself on a point, appointment to see this senator, and he wants to, he, he's got shots over, over Skull Island, literally, and he uses that big dramatic phrase that was in all the previews for this movie, it just gets really serious, and this is where I think John Goodman does, does some of his good stuff, he's like, it's Skull Island the land where god did not stop creation and it's just it, it it gets really really melodramatic and then it goes right back into the thing of this senator that's just like oh my god you guys are wasting all of our our resources and what the hell like what monster are you looking for now are you looking for loch ness are you looking for this or that and um at one point he compares them he says you're you're as much of a uh, drain on our funds as the guys looking for alien life in outer space. And John Goodman's like, yeah, but those guys are whack jobs. Um, yeah, the senator goes to leave after that, and uh, Brooks convinces him, like, basically, like, hey, the war's gonna be over soon. Uh, or it's you're the they're pulling out of Vietnam and everything. You know that if the Russians find this island, they're going to get on it, and so we want to find whatever's there before they do. And that's how he basically uh, gets him to do the okay. Oh yeah, they basically win. They win the conversation based on American competition. Yeah, which, which is great. Uh, can I can I say something about we talked about uh, King of the Monsters, and I'm not going to do too much into that. Uh, I happened to watch King of the Monsters right after Kong Skull Island. And I wouldn't have picked, I totally wouldn't have picked this up had we not watched them back to back. Um, this character, Houston Brooks, the, uh, the geologist, uh, guy is in King of the Monsters. That scene where Mothra, like, comes out of the, of the, uh, um, of the waterfall and they're, like, monitoring Mothra and shit. Really? And the black guy runs out. He, that's him. That's and the black I, guy. It must be Brooks. <laughs> my boy, my boyfriend pointed out he was like, because when I when I got it right, he was, I was like, yeah, I fucking called that shit. He was like, isn't it just a smidge, just like a little bit racist that you're like, guy, black guy with glasses. It has to be that other black guy. And I'm like, no, 
Yeah, there's other things in common. He's working for Monarch. He's an older guy because when he because when he was in Monarch in the in the like seventies, like during <laughs> Vietnam and shit. There are other factors, but yeah, he's that's him too. In in uh, but again, had I not watched them back to back, probably wouldn't have remembered that. Yeah, which is what makes it an Easter egg versus uh, hey, look at this, it's going to be important later. Mm-hmm. Like that's uh, see now I'm gonna watch that next time I my next time I watch Skull Island. Well, they don't. The only reason we knew it is because you have to listen because like one of the guys runs in the tent and he's and uh, Brooks is looking at the monitors and stuff and he goes Doctor Brooks and that's the only time he says his name. All right, fair enough. So the so the plan of all this that they're that they're proposing is there's already some sort of like mapping expedition going to the island and they want to piggyback on it. They want to piggyback on this thing that already has government funding. It's sort of like, "Hey, you're already going that way. Can we hitchhike?" Which is fine. And then he caps it off with, ah, "I just need one more thing. We need a military escort." So then mm-hmm. sort of segment off into the next section and we do oh uh you forgot the part where they when they're explaining uh skull island and everything that there is a perpetual storm around yeah. skull island all the time, which is why you know nobody's gotten to it yet yeah you know i think the only reason that's there is so that dickhead moviegoers are like well it couldn't have been there for that long somebody would have noticed by now well there's a storm well if you saw that there was a perpetual storm in the ocean that always happened to be in the same place would you not go and experiment with that just as much as you would experiment with hey there's an island over there that i haven't seen before it's it's kind of an argument that shoots himself in the foot but i really do think that arguments like that are why they need to create a reason why nobody's ever it's um wonder woman and and how themyscira has the big invisibility shield around it until you sail through it it's it's very much in that in that vein so he says the last thing he says to him as he's leaving is we need a military escort so we go to packard and all of his men that are about to go home they're all the big military guys and Samuel L. Jackson is obviously Packer. Samuel L. Jackson is just, I don't give a fuck, Samuel L. Jackson in this movie. My boyfriend and I tried to tried to make a case of this being Nick Fury before he joins the Avengers, before he start, before he joins S.H.I.E.L.D. to try there's, to join the universe. <laughs> there's nothing directly, I mean, we'd have to line up years and timelines or whatever, but you could write that story. And like this is why he decides. Oh shit, we need we need some superpower people because I saw a giant ass gorilla one time. <laughs> yeah, Thanos ain't got nothing on this big gorilla. That's right up there with the with the theory that uh, what's his name Leonardo DiCaprio's Great Gatsby is also the Jack character from Titanic. I read a big long thing. It's like this happened and this happened and this happened and then he changed his name to this. So. You could do that. You could definitely do a fan fiction where Packard is really like Packard Fury. <laughs> Packard Fury. At the very least, it's like his father or something that happens to look exactly like him. Yeah. Um. So you get the feeling, and you don't really – they don't really say it directly, but they heavily imply it. And, and this is where Samuel L. Jackson is great at sort of non, non-verbal shit as well. Everything you see in this gives you the feeling of 
whatever group these guys are, they just finished their last mission. They talk about the fact that they're all going home. Everybody's happy to be going home except him. Because he's going to be that one soldier that, like, wants another fight, wants another mission, won't really adjust well to, like, being at home. So while they're all partying, he's just in his room or his office above the... Because they're in a hangar of, of some yeah. description. Uh, but yet in the hangar, he's got, like, a random office that's, like, not part of anything. He's got his feet up on the on the desk and he's looking at all his medals and whatnot and he's sort of you know doing that cliche oh my god what was all this for type type inner monologue but then when his subordinates come in to check on him and say hey man like why aren't he's you like, coming yeah, i'm fine mother motherfuckers tip top <laughs> as he puts his feet up <laughs> on the thing and so we spend a lot of time with him in the office kind of brooding kind of playing that guy that's like i'm okay i promise um, but it's not until it's shitting rain and he's almost left the base that somebody at the at the exit gate says, hey, there's a call for you. Because he has to get that call in the rain. Because they have to add that extra, like, different element of, here's this guy with conflict and he does he's not really ready to go home and this is the mission that's going to save him from going home, which is weird. But it does also get into that whole, like, band of brothers has to get stay together for one last big hurrah type feeling and he he stops and he's he's talking to his superior on the phone and uh he get, gets all the stuff and then he pauses at the end of the call and he says thank you sir like he's really glad to have something to go do yeah it's 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 really like the subtleness in amongst a big bombastic monster movie the subtleness that they put into his introduction is really fantastic I, I I have nothing to add to that. Sorry, I dropped something on the ground. I was trying not to be loud. Yeah. Well, just stop beating up your keyboard. We'll be fine. Sorry, it's always that loud, no matter how gently I type on this keyboard. Okay, so I don't have much to say about the next bit. Uh, I don't know whether you want to take it or not. Randa and Brooks have now got their military guy. They need a tracker guy, so they go. And they catch a cab, and they go to some random bar, and they find Conrad, which is um, Tom Hiddleston's character. It, and it is the first time I've seen Tom Hiddleston thought, hey, he's he's freaking hot. Not that I think Tom Hiddleston is not good to look at, but like as Loki and all that, I'm like, eh, he's fine. So what you're saying is, is he, I'm like, Jesus. What you're saying Jesus is, he, Christ. is what you're saying is he's low key hot. Yeah. There we go. Moving on. That was my shitty joke it's of the night. The, There's more coming. It was the uh, is the uh, scr it's the scrubby beard and everything. I chose to ignore that joke and kept moving. There we go. Um, Fine, I'll stick in another. I'll stick. I'll stick in another one then. What kind of doctor is Doctor Pepper? What kind? A physician. No. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so he's. Uh, they convince him to go out. They're saying so. If you're needing a tracker, what the hell are you tracking? I love the fact that the minute they they show up at the bar to look for him is the same minute that he's getting in a bar fight with two other guys that tried to like stiff him on a pool game or whatever. So immediately yeah. you're going into this 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 big mission that's going to have this you don't know it yet, but it's going to have this big bit of conflict in it. So obviously the guy that you choose that's going to take you through something as mundane as tracking, you're going to find him while he's in the middle of a fight. I love the yeah. fact that he sits down and he's immediately, and yes, like the Marvel thing, 
there's no there's no sense pretending otherwise. The Marvel era sort of hovers over this movie, and he is Loki in all the like condescending ways that he talks to him. It's like, okay, you're going to a place that nobody's ever been. You don't know how you're getting in. You don't know how you're getting out. Let me list off all the ways you're going to die. And then he looks at their offer, and it's like, well, I want five times this and a bonus if we make it back alive, which is where Brooks shits his pants, and he's like, what do you mean if? You know, they never specify, not to foreshadow anything, they never specify what they mean by we. When If we make it back alive. Like, does everybody have to make it back alive for him to get a bonus? I mean, spoiler alert, guys. Some of the people die in this movie. I mean, a lot of the people die. Like, mm-hmm. you, That's the thing, though. With, with these movies, right? Like, we have the discussion, like we had last time with Godzilla, of, like, okay, all these monsters are causing destruction, but at the end, some of them are referred to as the good guys. You can't forget the massive loss of life that happens in, like, a Godzilla-Mudo battle. Now, because they're going to a place where it's not a dense population, and, and you don't have that, oh my god, every time a building falls over, a thousand people could have died, you literally have to go in there knowing that the few, like the 20 or 30 people you do see on screen basically are, are all going to die. <laughs> basically, the people that don't have an intro uh, clip before, the, uh, before they go on the trip, like a big one, like, hey, this is who this person is. Uh, they they go die. Yeah, it's not that dissimilar from Suicide Squad. Now that I think about it, is like their their way of building this team. I mean, they're not coming out there with like big neon stylized you know info screens, but it's like here's Packard and Brooks, and here's what they're doing, and they're trying to build a team. So now we we need an army guy. We've got our army guy. We need a tracker guy. We've got our tracker guy, and we move on to. Brie Larson, who isn't isn't the most impressive thing about this movie, I'm not going to lie, I don't think that's too mean to say, but she's no. also, in not being the biggest character in the movie, she's still pretty good in this movie. Mm-hmm. We just see her, she's a photographer, she's she's in her dark room, because, you know... She's we have... a wartime correspondent, or journalist, basically. Oh, no. A wartime journalist. We'll, we'll get to her title in a minute, because there is, there is a good line in there. Um... But it is the whole, like, you're right, she is an anti-war photographer, so while she's getting the thing, you know, uh, she's getting the phone call or whatever, the thing that pops up to me is, here's this girl that's done all this dangerous stuff and is obviously an anti-war photographer, which is the line we're going to talk about in a bit, and it's, there, there is another thing, and I'm totally stealing this from CinemaSins, everybody, if you don't know who CinemaSins are, go check them out on YouTube, they're great, and they deserve a lot of credit for making me look at things differently, there is so much manufactured tension in this movie, it's ridiculous. Who who looks at a vocal anti-war photographer and says, yeah, we'll, we'll just throw them on a boat with a bunch of military people. That's that's not going to cause any issues down the line. <laughs> going to go well. So, like, <laughs> this can only go well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is, it's, I mean, it happens because movie. Like, like, that's mm-hmm. just the thing. But it's one of those things right after that, it's like, oh, she's anti-war, so she's going on a war mission, to, or, or a military-based mission to, you know, whatever the case may be. So she gets the call, and it's pretty innocuous, this scene. is just here's her in her home environment, developing photos, etc., and getting the phone call. And that brings us all to Bangkok, where they're getting on 
the boat to get on the helicopters to get to to Skull Island. Now, every this is the big Avengers assemble moment as well because we've met Randa, we've met Brooks, we've met Packard and and all of his guys, we've met Conrad, we've met Weaver, and there is instant, instant friction between. Packard, who's the army guy, Clearly. and Weaver, who's the anti-war photographer, until she says, oh, I've been here and here and here, and then he just sort of gives her a nod, it's like, well, I guess you've been in the shit. I'm like, okay. And one of the dweebs that's letting people on the boat, it's like, oh, ben, or what's what's her first, I'm going to look it up, because it's going to bother me. Uh, I'm here, uh, Mason. Oh, okay, fine, cool, I don't have to. Mason Weaver. Mason Weaver, and the guy letting people onto the boat who just looks like a, like a administrative dork, he's like, oh, Mason Weaver is a woman. And she's like, yeah, last time I checked. So there's a little bit of that, there's a little bit of that cockiness that I didn't like from, from, uh, Captain Marvel, but it suits the character, it suits all the different conversations that she has with various people. It's fine, but it's there. But like I say, instant, instant friction between her and Packard, and it's like, okay, why did we get an anti-war photographer with the army guys? So that we can have this. And then we go to the mission slideshow, where it's like, here's the island, it looks like a skull, they explain the whole storm system thing, and then you 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 take this, because, you know, you had such good things to say about bombs and the people that use bombs in our last podcast, they're going to map the, the, the whole island with bombs. Well, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, what they're basically doing is they set off a charge and it lets off a, uh, like a shockwave in, in the ground to uh, map everything under the ground geologically. It's actually a thing that, that people do. It's how uh, some people will hunt. There's... Um, a, t- uh, a technique to do it to find oil, to find pockets of oil. Okay. Sorry, you thought I was going to shit on it, but it's actually it's actually a thing. I don't know if it happens like this, where it's like we're just going to start chunking shit out and it blows up a big thing. Usually, what you do is you dig like a really deep hole in the ground and set off a charge that like doesn't destroy everything like, a whole lot. Like it and, just kind of like and wake it up makes monsters. A shockwave. Yeah, it make it wake up monsters. So you usually don't drop them from a helicopter, but you know it was it was you know Vietnam, so maybe that's what they did back then. I do like the the and there's a lot of like macho guy bullshit from all the army guys because that's how movies... there's a lot of what I there's a lot of in this movie what I call Vietnam shots when it comes to yeah. like and, and music some of the and music you know, some of the action shots like. The one that I can think of is when they're dropping the bombs and the camera zooms in on the helicopter pilot. It's the camera's on, kind on of on the glasses on their on their glasses as he sees the bombs going off. It's a very Vietnam big what smile I call Vietnam in his shot. Yeah, uh, another another thing that I'm blatantly ripping off Cinema Sins because it, it's so glaring that I don't know why I didn't see it myself. There is so much like music from the Vietnam era cliche yeah. in this movie. Uh, and they, they said it better than I could, but it's like, it's almost unfortunate at this point, doing a movie like this, you cannot hear any music from the Vietnam era that doesn't sound like a music from the Vietnam era cliche, but it, it's all through this. 
and mm-hmm. it's it borders on obnoxious, but as long as it still kind of fits, it's it's okay. Um, they go on to explain more and more. The reason I mentioned the guys being so like macho in the meeting is because they have to show this difference between okay, here's the macho army guys. And here's the nerdy scientist. And here's the scientist. And here's the nerdy scientist guys. And, here... and they even make it more cliche by having them sit on, like, they have Opposite two... sides of the room. Yeah, basically. You hear, oh, you hear one of the army guys, and a lot of the army guys, I didn't write down their names, so sorry. Even even one of the army guys makes fun of him. He's like, hear that, guys? We're scientists now. And I'm like, oh, okay, gotcha. The nerd guy, like, passive-aggressively under his breath is like, no, you're not, basically. <laughs> It's true, but also there is, like, they have to have the army guys sitting on one side and the scientist guys sitting on the other side, so that as you look Not across... Not only that, they're also wearing different colored jumpsuits, basically. Yep. They've, yeah, they they've, are. They've distinguished them as separate on site, by location. By mannerisms. <laughs> but by I love, mannerisms. But I love... The whole thing is, is like all the people that we are invested in so far, like Brooks and Randa and Mason and Conrad. I'm not are, sitting with either group. Yeah, they are the other. Like, okay, left, right, other. Uh, so the only main character that we follow throughout all of this who does fall into one of those categories is Packard. And mm-hmm. that... Well, and his army guys. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, his army guys are one half of that divide. So he's That's the only true. he's the only of all the main characters that conflict with each other. He's the only one that has a group behind him because the scientists. I mean, let's be real; they don't last very long. So they go over. They they finish explaining this plan. They talk about how the storm is going to cut off all contact with the outside world because that's not a movie cliche. And then we say we're going to set the ground meet in three days. So as a movie watcher. You've got it in your head now that even though it's, it's you know, three days, you've got a countdown in your head. The minute they land, they're on a countdown. They're on a clock. It's a very cool, subtle, in-the-back-of-your-head thing to keep the tension up throughout the rest of the movie. Even as we find out other things that are their enemy way more than time, they still know that they've got a clock in the back of their head, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And then Conrad finds Weaver sneaking around down in the bowels of the ship, taking pictures of the weapons and whatever, and they do the whole, like, they're both really questioning why they're there, if this is a science thing, why do we need so many weapons, and, like, they're the they're the ones that are morally above sort of what's going on. And they, while, Con- while Weaver and Packard had instant, you know, friction, Weaver and Conrad who are, let's be real, the two most attractive people in the movie, have instant chemistry. Because, of course, they do. Yeah, basically. And then there's a weird photo. Can I say, though, before we we go real far into this, um, I'm comparing it to Godzilla now. Even though the characters, some of them are cliche, and some of them are this, and it's kind of like all... I find these characters way more interesting... Than I did anyone in the first Godzilla movie. Oh, that's totally. I fair. think the I think I think the characters in this movie are better than the characters in the Godzilla movie. I think the co- characters in this movie are better than the characters in both of the Godzilla movies, even the one we're going to talk about next. Mm-hmm. Because the shitty kid um, and the shitty wife in King of the Monsters can go suck a fuck. Like, there's way too many cool I think monsters. If I were, you're right. I think if I were going to rank them, it would go it would go these, then King of the Monsters, then the Godzilla. The the How I rank lo- character likability overall. 
Are you saying that because they killed Brian Cranston way too early? I mean, yeah. All right. Just as long as we're clear. Um, the last thing we get before we go on to the actual mission is the first of two, and they do this again later in the movie with other people, but we just get this weird um, musical, like, almost music video style montage, and it's just Brie Larson with her camera. This is the, yeah, this is the Vietnam. This is where a lot of the, quote, Vietnam shots come in. Yeah, where it's just like she's going around taking pictures of the boys, and it's like... <sighs> It, it, oh, it's, no, this it, is before they get off the ship. Yes. It's still Vietnam shots. Right, but, like, when they're on the boat and they're just, like, every guy in there hasn't seen a woman in a while. So, first of all, they're all smiling at Brie Larson. Second of all, they're all goofing off in front of a camera. And they're all doing that same totally posed, trying to look totally natural thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's a weird it's a weird montage because you want to think that it's, okay, this is Weaver, this is what she does, this is how she's going to capture this thing, but really all it does is put a focus on all these guys that are trying to be all super macho under Packard's, like, leadership are really just a bunch of goofs. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong, I don't know what the intent of this is, but I don't think it does whatever they want it to do. Basically... It's a bunch of doofuses going, ooh, girl, ooh, camera. I assume it's a, I assume it's a scene where these are the last time you're, this is the last time you're going to see a lot of these guys alive. <laughs> or, kind of or this is how good life is before life gets really bad. Yeah. And if that's the point of it, if that's like, you know, in a, in a, in a, I, I keep going back to horror tropes, but like all the friends in the house having the sleepover that are having the most fun ever before the guy comes in with the knife. If that's the point of it, then I get it. But if it's supposed to be like, okay, everybody else has had their say, and this is what Weaver does, it doesn't really do that, because we're looking through her camera, which means we're looking at everybody else. So if that's what it was intended to do, I think it backfired a little bit, especially when we do it again later on in the movie, basically the same thing with different people. So we all take off after the big debate. You got the science nerd guy arguing with all the army guys. The storm's a little worse than we thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah, I like the scientist guys like, nope, we're turning around. And I'm like, were you not at the briefing where they say there's a perpetual storm around the whole thing? But it's more perpetual today than it was yesterday. (laughs) Like the storm that we have fucking satellite photos of and then it's still clearly here. That one, that perpetual storm. Oh, yeah, we're just going to turn back. Yeah, you know, we just paid all this money, and we hired the – and we brought these army guys whose, like, specific, like, deal is, like, we're really good at, like, flying helicopters through storms. Yeah, they're really good at, like, taking care care of people through transportation and extraction. Like – Like, that's the reason they got, like, these specific pilots. But it's also like you say before, like all the all the cliches are in one room, and he's here with all his logical or logical in his he's, mind. He's the coward. He's the cowardly scientist. If this were Jurassic Park, he's the lawyer guy yeah. that runs runs into the bathroom and gets eaten. Like off he's the that toilet. guy. Off yes, the, off we, the toilet. Oh, we need to do original Jurassic Park, don't we? I mean, at some point. Yeah, we do. But yeah, that's that's who he is. But I just think it. it uh, but no, you were saying before about we like, gotta get out of here, guys. 
<coughs> yeah, but it is kind of funny because it does it does sort of represent the real world where like there's the jocks and the nerds. So even if he's 100% wrong, even if he's 100% right, he's there to say that stuff so that everybody else in the room can be like, you're a pussy. Yeah, that is so, his whole purpose. And they do they do the thing. They do the thing, and they do the same thing in Jurassic Park. They do the same thing in Jurassic World. They do the same thing in a lot of movies. There's no way I'm getting on that helicopter. Smash cut to him getting on the helicopter. Getting on the helicopter, yeah. I mean, it's... Well, I guess you are. Stop. They, the, the whole scene of them just punching through the storm is is weird because everybody obviously has their different reactions. The scientists are, like, trying to protect their equipment. and they're I kinda... like how they go through this massive storm with the uh, doors of the helicopter open. I like how they fly through lightning and nothing gets hit. They basically look like... For everyone that saw um, the most recent Star Wars, uh, uh, Rise of Rise of Skywalker, it's like when Rey is like flying through that fucking storm to get to Hexagol, basically. Yeah, I could see that. It's a non-comedic version of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when Groot and Yondu do like 700 jumps and their faces get all like distorted and shit. Yeah. But like it's it's really cool to watch because you've got the guys that are really interested and genuinely curious like Randa and Conrad. You got the military guys that even if they are shitting their pants, they're going to put on the big brave macho face and we can get through this. This is nothing. Da-da-da. And then you got the scientist guys shitting their pants. But you've got Samuel L. Jackson's character while they're flying through all this telling the story of Icarus. And how they're not Icarus because the government is not a neglectful father and he gave us wings of, you know, 100% cold rolled Pennsylvania steel. And the entire time you've got the president, what's his face, bobblehead, just like going crazy while he's doing this big monologue about the story of Icarus. And it shows, it's a brief look into how crazy he gets real soon is just he he sounds like a preacher while he's doing the Icarus story and it's just it's very Sam Jackson is what I'm saying yes and I don't know it's like the storm's there and it's not and the and yeah they it, punch through it basically they get to the eye of the storm yeah they get to what they think is the worst part of the storm and then it's over and then from then on, uh, since we're making the Jurassic Park references, they do sort of like the peaceful Jurassic Park flyover, where everything is like serene. Everything and, is pretty and and magical, and oh, it's so. And you only see the and, and very much like Jurassic Park, you only see the peaceful creatures at first. You don't see the skull crawlers at first. You don't even see Kong. At first, you don't see the big, you know, big giant tree grasshopper thing that we're going to see later on. You don't see anything. You see the, the, you know, the lush fields and the dense forest and the big mountains and open sky. And it's all sunshine, even though it's completely surrounded by storm, which is weird. It is the, it is the Jurassic Park opening flyover in King Kong form. But then the scientists land and the rest of them start dropping the bombs. And even when they're dropping the bombs, they're they're just having a good old time. And the more they smile, the more the audience has that built-in knowledge of, you can't be that happy, you're about to get fucked. 
Yep, you're about to die. And it starts with the tree. Because you don't even see Kong. You just see all these guys smiling. So I was saying earlier about the Vietnam shots. These, This is actually where most of the Vietnam shots are, where the sunglasses with the bombs in the background, reflection, and them dropping the bombs and all this crap. This is where the Vietnam shots are. But I think it's such a cool thing because, like, even though we've already seen Kong, we've seen Kong in the flashbacks and all that sort of thing, this is still our genuine introduction to Kong. And I think where we talked about last time, Godzilla, they spend a whole lot of time where, like, you just see a fin or you just see an outline or whatever. They don't really do that as much as you see other things before you see Kong. You see him throw the tree, and then you see the shot from inside the helicopter where you only see his face. And then eventually mm-hmm. they all fly back, and you get that awesome. And I've even got it as the thumbnail for this video, for this podcast, that awesome shot where they all pull back a little bit, and it's just his silhouette against the setting sun. And then he just starts fucking shit up. Um, oh, I lost my place. I lost my place in my notes. Um, it it becomes laughable in the sense, and I and I guess this would happen in any King Kong movie. It becomes laughable how nothing affects Kong. Like obviously, this but, is the part of the this is the part of the monster movie where everyone gets separated. Yes, uh, but like they try to shoot him, and. Yes, let me be King Kong and laugh at your bullets. He thinks so little of them that he's hitting helicopters out of the air with other, with, helicopters. With, with other helicopters. And that shouldn't be funny, but it just it shows how, how much they don't matter to him. And King Kong, but more than any other characters in any of these in, in any of the other two movies, has a personality more than Godzilla, more than the Mudos, more than, you know, anybody in King of the Monsters and all that. King Kong does have a little bit of a personality with him being an ape and him being, like, the cl- like apes being the closest thing to humans, like, in a lot of ways, like, body language, facial expression, all that sort of thing. You do get more personality out of King Kong than you will out of any other monster on that basis. But it's just... The way he moves around, the way he just, like, swats things out of the way, it's almost dismissive. Like, it's almost intentionally, like, hey, fuck off. And, and, yeah. I love everybody, at least once, when they hit the ground, saying, like, everybody's surprised, everybody's shocked, nobody's expecting, like, a skyscraper-sized monkey to come and attack them. But, they, the, when they hit the ground, they're all like, what was that? What was that? We have to figure out what that was. And it's like, a, a, as a as a viewer, you're like, it's a big monkey. Like, I don't... Like, yeah, you have to figure out what, my, to, what to do with it. My favorite reaction is the... Um, so they have this, like, kind of uh, black guy, white guy, like, semi-comic duo uh, yeah. in this one. Uh, two of the soldiers. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find their names. We'll call them Salt uh, and Pepper. It's fine. <laughs> their names are... Um, Earl Cole and Earl Cole and Glenn Mills. It's the other. Oh, one. Cole, Cole's the guy that like lands, and as soon as he realizes he's still alive, he starts eating, 
Eddie's like, yeah, he's just like, and he's like, are we not gonna fucking? Uh, are we not gonna uh, talk about this? We're we really not, not gonna, gonna talk, talk about, about this. this. He's like, just like, yeah, hey, you know, sometimes shit happens. No, but when he's eating, it's like, stuff out there. Cole, what are you doing? How can you be eating right now? Foods for the living, man. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. I love that guy. I was He's so, good. I was like, I love this guy. Okay, we'll, we'll get to his ending in a bit, because he does have a little bit of, like, sort of a mini arc, even though he's not one of the main characters. Anyways, they do all split up, like you said. Like, they don't really split up. There's, like, one army guy that goes off on his own with all the munitions that we don't see for a while. And then there's, like... Well, like, their helicopters get thrown. Like... Yeah, Around. But I mean, that's how they get separated. But basically, they get split. Other than that one guy that gets separated with all the munitions, because obviously none of the large groups are going to be where all the ammunition they need is, because there's a little bit of a video game element to that. But pretty much, <laughs> there is one team. That's... I will also say, uh, what, uh, on on a side note, this scene where King Kong is destroying the helicopters and everything. This is the scene that you can really tell that they put most of their CGI budget on yeah. King Kong. Yeah. Because if you look at the hel- – there's something wrong looking about the helicopters. Uh, when you say video gamey, that's what it reminds me of. It looks very video gamey, and I couldn't descri- – and I couldn't, like, put my finger on it for a little while. And like, it's The helicopters are, like, shiny. Yeah. When normally they wouldn't be like, yeah, they're metal, but they wouldn't be like they're a weird kind of video game shiny. And it's right. really distracting when Kong is in there because he is CGI'd really well compared to everything yeah, else. And, and the thing that we know isn't real looks more real than the things that are real. Yeah, basically. Anyway, no, well, what I mean by video gamey is it's just, of course, they had to spread things out all over the island because now you have to mission to go and find stuff. And yes. I find, I've, like, you've got one guy that's over here where all the ammunition is, but the groups that are looking for that ammunition have to go on, uh, you know, call it a side quest before mm-hmm. they before they fight Kong or anything like that. But basically, you get two groups. You get one group with Conrad and Weaver, obviously, because they're, they're the little sparkly romance thing that's already started off. They're very intriguing to each other. And on the other side, you've got a couple more guys with Randa and Packard. And here is where you get the conversation between Randa and Packard at like they're at this, like the side of a river or whatever. And this is just Samuel L. Jackson and John Goodman being fantastic because mm-hmm. it's so simple in a lot of ways because it leads to a lot of explanation. But the beginning of the conversation where he's like, you need to tell me what's going on right the fuck now or I'm going to blow your head off. And then the two lines that sum up this whole movie is like, monsters exist. No shit. <laughs> Yeah, no shit, I got that part. Totally, yeah. totally figured that one out. And then you figure out that, like, Randa, the reason he's so invested in Monarch is he wants to bring to light that these monsters exist. He was on a ship and he was the only survivor, obviously, because every character has to be an only survivor of something. So he's been hunting these things for a long time. He's been experimenting with them. They, you know, find out why they're basically his passion. Whereas Packard, on the other hand, has... has like a revenge thing going on like these army guys are his family he's killed a whole bunch of them so now he's uh literally everybody that's ever talked about this movie has mentioned the fact that packard at this point basically becomes captain ahab and like king kong becomes his moby dick so you got Mm -hmm. two guys that are really really obsessed with kong but it's two really really different kinds of obsession like 
John Goodman's character wants to, you know, bring to light that these characters exist and figure out how we're going to do it. And, and, you know, the public deserves to know. We need to know how to interact with these things when they come out and whatever. And Packard just becomes obsessed with the revenge factor of it. And not to be too, like, art schooly about it, it's a character study on two very different characters both being both being impacted by obsession and it's like a two minute conversation and it's probably one of the better things about the whole movie mm-hmm. but it's also done by some of the better actors in the movie not that the other actors aren't good but yeah i don't know like like i say we expect it from samuel l jackson i'm always surprised with how intense john goodman can be in a role like this and the fact um uh, I think but when I saw this, the last thing I had seen him in was 10 Cloverfield Lane, where he's just creepy. And I wanted to see him with some intensity that had some integrity behind it. I don't know. That's just... Uh... And plus, yeah, you each time you see John Goodman, you st- even though you know he can do more, you still have to shake off the Roseanne feel from him a little bit. Anyways, so Brooks is with the other team. He's with Conrad and Weaver. They're sort of filling time... At this point, uh, Brooks is telling them all about the Hollow Earth theory and how the Hollow Earth theory brought him and Randa together, and that's how he got involved with with Monarch. They pause at the water, and the big, big water buffalo-looking thing that has antlers, like the width of the river, sort of pokes its head out. Basically, all the animals on this thing are like... Here's a normal animal, but it's, like, bigger, and if it has, like, horns or something like that, it has, like, like two times more of them, or three yeah. times more of them. But this is where the movie has to stick in that whole, like, not all the animals are dangerous. If you don't po- pose a threat to them, they won't do anything to you, because obviously the military guys, you know, because they're macho and it's all they know how to do, they pull out a gun and they're going to shoot it. They're, like, or... going to try and shoot it. <laughs> And I mean, like, once again, this thing's whole face is horn, so you're going to shoot it in the horn, and they all, like, you know, the other ones, Conrad and Weaver and Brooks, get them to all calm down and put their webs together, and the thing just kind of goes, sloshes off away into the really, really dirty, seaweedy water. So there's our first little bit of, of I don't know what you call it, the um, the moral messaging of the movie, per se. Um, like I say, it's pretty filler, but it's it's something they need to put in. It's a little bit of the background on how Brooks is there. Um, I kind of wish I cared more because he's not. They never make him a character that you care for. Yeah. So I would care if I cared. He's a comedic guy. Um. We switch back to Packard once again, and for a little while, it just becomes, hey, these are all the different monsters that we have. Cause, so we had the big moose thing that came up out of the water and then went away, because those are the good guys. Those are the guys that aren't causing any threat or whatever. Then you got Packard's guys, who are obviously under his leadership, and he's more aggressive, and he's angry, and he's going crazy. So more things are going to happen. He buries his men, and he sort of... Puts the puts the helmets on the ground and sort of promises vengeance to Kong and all these sort of things, and this is where we have them walking through the forest and it's not really a forest it's spider legs. And spider leg just comes down. Almost all the monsters that aren't like a named monster because they do this in King of the King of the Monsters as well. 
you could tell where they had to start making up monsters. Yeah. The imagination slowly goes away. I don't know. It's a big fucking spider. I don't know. It's the whole, like, they're supposed to be army guys. And they're supposed to be, like, aware of shit. Right? So if you're walking through the forest, how long would you have to be walking through the forest to realize, hey, these trees don't have tops, and by the way, that's a big fucking spider. Never mind the fact that it's a spider, but it also has claws, so it's like a spider crab thing. And for that one that kills the one guy, he basically lifts a foot and like puts it down like through the guy's throat, like through his whole body. Like, yeah, they're, basically. They're, so it's walking, essentially. Trees don't lift. It it it's a cool scene. Don't get me wrong. The whole the whole reveal. I I found it to be very forgettable because I completely uh, until you brought it up I was like oh yeah that did that did happen. It is cool the first time you see it and then afterwards after you think about okay and this could go for a lot of the movie but it's cool if you make the conscious decision to not think about it too much. It's like the whole, why would you put an anti-war photographer in with a bunch of military guys? Okay, because movie. This is cool. The whole spider leg thing, like, and the guy's, like, in the middle of taking a drink, too, and you don't even see the thing go. You just turn around, and you're like, oh, that guy has a tree through him. Oh, wait, it's a leg. And as soon as they notice that it's a spider, then it makes all kinds of noise. So before then, it just wasn't. Which is fine. hanging out. Just chilling. Okay, so we go back to Conrad and Weaver's group, and they discover these ruins that are all painted up with white and yellow all over the stone, and it looks really cool. It all until you see the natives, it kind of looks like it could be a set from like an Indiana Jones thing a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you meet the natives, and the natives are obviously going to be defensive against these intruding people, but. They don't come to blows, they don't, there's no violence or anything like that, because who pops up to save it all, and smooth it all over, and make all the introductions from this world and this world? We get Hank back! And it's John C. Riley. C. Riley, And he's yeah. fucking he's great. He's great in it. I love him in this. And it's just like, oh, hey, you know, I told, it only took them 20 or so years, but I knew you were coming. I threw my jacket on and everything, and he's got the big fucking Santa beard going. And he's like, all right, okay, everybody needs to relax. We all, we can all be friends. And he sort of like starts showing them around a little bit. And then we have another scene that's sort of out of nowhere because it's just one of the soldiers. And I don't even know if it's from the Conrad and Weaver group or whether it's from Packer and Randa's group. But we just see a soldier getting some water at the, at the creek. Oh, or it's the guy. His name is, he's one of the few guys that I remember his actual name because they say it uh, a lot and now I'm going to have to look it up because I don't remember it off the top of my head. Chapman, he's mm. the one that had, he's the one that had, the helicopter guy that has the, the one of the big helicopters and all the ammunition. That, and it has all the ammunition in it. Okay, so he's the one that's off on his own and he just So he's off completely by himself. He just gets a front row seat to Kong. Samuel, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson told him to stay put, and they were going to come get him. Yeah. Uh, you see Kong, and it's the first time you sort of see that Kong's not 
completely impervious. Like, you see the obvious big scars that have come along his arm and how his hands are all cut up and whatever. And he takes a, a little... And those t- are from, the, like, those are from, like, the helicopter blades and yeah. stuff from what he's, he's, fought them. Well, this is the thing. He's got a little tiny cut from when he probably got a helicopter blade to the arm. But it's it's just, again, the whole, like, laughable, like, look how big he is, look how small everybody else is. He takes, like, a little handful of water to, like, splash it up on his hurt arm, and it causes, like, a tidal wave. Yeah. And, uh, and then you see him, and it's kind of weird, and it's kind of random. You see him just kind of reaching around in the water, and all of a sudden he notices, like, there's this big octopus. It's like a fucking kraken. Like, it's like another, like, <laughs> it's just giant like... squid. And we're just left to we're we're left to watch this guy watch Kong. All the animals, all the animals on this island are normal animals. They're just fucking huge. They just multiply them by like ten. But that's, but I mean, like like that would be a criticism if the main monster of the movie wasn't the same thing. Like that would bug me. Like if if these monsters, if the octopus and the big moose and whatever were fighting Godzilla, it would be out of place. But they're fighting Kong who himself is just a big, bigger version of something we know. So I get what you're saying, as in, like, it doesn't seem like they're very... They're not very effortful creations, but it fits. Kind of. Oh, no, I'm I'm saying it fits this island and everything, but it's just like... It's just like, you know, just everything's, like, fucking bigger. Because there's a scene later with... uh, with John C. Riley, and he's talking to two people, and he's like, "Okay, keep your eye out. Watch out for watch out like, for the big damn ants." He's like, "No, even in the trees. What's in the trees? Ants." And they're like, "What the fuck?" And they're like, "You think?" But they're like, "Fucking like huge." <laughs> oh, because they hear them, and it's like, "Oh, it sounds like birds. They sound like birds, but they're ants." <laughs> yeah, but it's but, fucking ants. You know what though? That that that's one big thumbs down in the whole movie. We don't ever see the big giant bird ants. No, we do not see the big giant fucking ants. It's fine. So we see King Kong. John C. Riley is like one of my like one of my favorite things in the movie. I was like, if this man does not make it back home, I'm gonna right? be pissed. Right. This this wasn't the first time you saw this. No, this is the first time I've seen this one. Oh. Because it's because okay. Travis, my my boyfriend Travis is kind of. I wouldn't say strictly a Godzilla guy, but he he didn't watch this one. Oh, okay. When it came out, because when it initially came out, it wasn't immediately obvious that it was part of the monster verse until they were like, oh, and by the way, look at all this other shit. Oh, okay. So you, this is brand new for you. Yes, he this had is- seen it. This was brand new for me. He had seen it like once before, but he hadn't seen it in a while. So. Okay. So this is this is going to fall into that large category that Guapo tells us about, where it's like Kristen hasn't seen anything. Yeah, basically. Um, I would also like to add. I know it's a little far into the thing. Did I did I mention this on uh, while we were recording or while we were off recording? Um, that I that I wasn't aware of this being th- a different movie. Oh, because you thought this was the one that had Jack Black in it. No, we were talking about that before, yes, but you can talk we, about it again. We we started when I when we started this movie, um, my boyfriend and I, uh, I was like, so is Jack Black like the guy who's gonna be stuck on the island? Because there's always a guy stuck on the island. That's just how it is. There's always a guy stuck on the island. It's like, is Jack Black gonna be the? And he stopped for a minute. He goes, 
oh no, that's the other one. And I'm like, wait, there's another one. He's like, yeah, this one. There's the one that um, uh, Peter Jackson did, and then there's this one. And he goes, in your defense, they were they came out within like I think a year of each other or something. They were like really close together or something like that. You know what I just thought I of? I thought though? that they were the same movie. There is an alternate universe because we talked about the other Godzilla, but now we talked about the other King Kong. Uh, there's an alternate universe where Matthew Broderick and Jack Black are the world's last hope against all the Titans. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that is that is terrifying because both of those alternate versions are, are terrible. Moving on. So we see yep. King Kong fight the giant octopus. It's all good, and he just kind of, like, drags it away afterwards, like... You know, you hope that he's going to eat it and not just, like, shag it behind a mountain. The one thing I will say about King Kong and where my sympathy goes for King Kong, King Kong has nowhere to go. No, if, he's if, just on this he, island. He's on the island. But, like, it's there's no, like, okay, at the, at the far end of this island is my cave where I live. Like, he sits on the island. He's sitting on the whole island. It's like, I'm not a comic book guy, but I see pictures of Galactus, and Galactus is, like, bigger than planets. Okay, so where hey, does he... planets. So where does he live? But that's, that's a, a stupider example of what I'm saying here about King Kong. Where does King Kong live? Like, anywhere he sits down, he's killing. Yeah, basically. He's too big for his house. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but it's just, he, he has nowhere to go. So when you see him dragging his food off somewhere else, it's like, where, where are you going? Like, you Going live... somewhere else. You live everywhere. So we, we go back to the natives. We go back to Hank and the uh, and the Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston group, and he walks them through the old crashed up... It was a boat, but they've made it look like a cave inside with all the different drawings. I do like the way they do the paintings with all the pillars and, oh, like... Oh, yeah, the paintings are pretty cool, where you have to, like... You have to be standing to, a certain like, way, yeah. To see the perspective... Anyways, so here is where we get into carbon copy of Godzilla territory. The natives fear the skull crawlers. The skull crawlers are the things that come up when there's nothing else to keep an eye on them. Kong's whole species used to keep them in line. So King Kong is Godzilla in this movie. The skull crawlers yes. are, are the mudos. It's fine. You know, he, he lets but them know. But he's also the last of his kind. And they make a point to say that he's still growing. He's young. Well, and yeah, because like this is this is this is only basically. nineteen this is only nineteen seventy seven, I believe. So yeah. if the if the future movie that we're getting is Kong versus Godzilla, I'm assuming that's going to be current day. Yes. I haven't heard anything either way, but uh, no, they go on all on about how these things they 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 hibernate underground, which is a throwback to Brooks's Hollow Earth theory. And, you know, Kong's, Kong's species used to keep them underground. The explosions woke a bunch of them up, and it's a good thing that it was only the small ones and not the big ones, because you don't want to wake yeah, up he, the big one. Yeah, because apparently he's like, there's a big one down there. Yeah, which is kind of funny, though, because it's like, why is the big one down there? If the big one, because he goes on to say the big one killed Kong's whole family. So if mm -hmm. the big one, if the big one that we're going to see later on killed all of Kong's family... How did Kong, by himself, get it into an into a state where it was like back in in rest or whatever? It's a little bit of well, a maybe plot. it would maybe if it had to fight all of them. If it had to fight, I, I assume they injured it. 
even that, if that's that he killed it. That's fair. Um, but yeah, the bombings woke up a bunch. So heavy-handed with the with the moral message of, hey, this is what happens when when humans interfere with the natural order of things, and you're gonna fuck up Kong's plan and all that sort of thing. Talks about how the because Kong is the last of his species, these natives, the I keep wanting to say the kiwis, but that's a fruit. Uh, but, yes, that is, that is a fruit. Uh, and it's also what you call uh, people somebody from, from New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah, I, I'm a Dakota Kai fan. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no, the, the the name of the native tribe is very very similar to Kiwi. I just can't think of it right now. And the last painting yeah, you I see is what they're called as well. This huge painting Let's at the front of this cave. See if I can see it on here. The huge painting at the front of the cave is basically like Kong is like a god to them. And Kong saves them from from the skull crawlers, and it's all fine, it's all wonderful. And then he says, "Oh well, you're trying to get to here. You can't get there in three days, not on foot anyway." He takes them out to his boat, and his boat is like his boat f- is like his boat is the Jap the guy the Japanese guy he crashed that also crashed on it. He and that guy like became bros while stuck on this island. Uh, Japanese guy passed away. But before he did, they took their two the P, his P fifty two Mustang and uh, the agent and the Japanese guys zero and like kind of transformed them together into a boat. Yeah, that they're still working on. And one of the the was it the scientist guy the one guy that said he wasn't going to come because like it's all like windy and stuff he says that's not a boat that's not a boat that looks like it's made out of 100 percent tetanus i mean yeah it it kind of it does it it, it, it does look like a floating pile of garbage like that's that is a thing and then for a second time we get another montage of brie larson just taking pictures of people and it's the you same. You know, and I know that I know they couldn't put too much thought into into the into the natives of the island. But as I was watching it, I'm like, because he, because uh, uh, what's his name, John C. Riley's character, Hank. Hank goes on this big thing about how like they don't have like land ownership and all this. They just kind of like they, they don't have language. And all. Yeah, they don't have language. They're beyond all of that and shit like that. But I feel like they do have a level of classism because, you know, they have all these tattoos on them and there's some that are yellow and then there's some that are red. And then there's like two people that have like these blue tattoos and they're the ones that are like fucking in charge. It was just interesting, a thing that they like put detail into but never addressed. Because when they find them in the forest... All the people that are there are people with, like, yellow tattoos. So right. clearly they're the ones that are, like, maybe hunting or at least security, some sort of, like, quote, military. Oh, like, what's your station within the tribe type thing. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. I don't mind that, though, because in so many movies like this, you would see the only thing that they put detail into are the things that absolutely matter. So to have this entire tribe who don't really do anything let's be real and i'm not trying to be well they don't well they don't really contribute to the story other than you want to believe that like hank's been living with them for a while so they're kind of in the background the movie could have gotten away with a lot less details but so for them to put some so much detail into something that's not 
main character driven is more than you get from some movies because it just would have been like uh, I'm going to try and say this without sounding offensive but a lot of other movies where you just have you know an area of wilderness where there's like quote unquote natives it's just a bunch of kids running around in like makeshift diapers and shit and that's this is what a native is and it's kind of terrible and kind of insulting to the intelligence so to take something that's not really in all reality important and still put that level of detail into it without extremely focusing on it is kind of cool yeah there was at least a level of detail that i noticed in it that you know there was at least there, i only saw the three different colors so there was some sort of like segmenting i guess their society in some way and yeah. the two people that were in charge were clearly, like, elders. Yeah, and you can see, even though they don't talk, like, they've somehow established some sort of co-living arrangement with this Hank character that's just been there for 20 years. And to them, probably sounds like a loud, obnoxious asshole. Yeah, probably. Uh, but again, you get to what I said before with uh, with uh, Weaver's character and, and the whole camera photo shoot thing, and it's carbon copy of what she did on the boat with the soldiers except they took the soldiers out and put the natives in and it's it's a bit redundant i mean it's all supposed to be happy like look at these two people from different worlds they're all getting to know each other and we're all cohabitating and we're all one world and it's all super happy but i don't care (laughs) like i'm not given a reason to care that everybody's happy because it's a monster movie and everybody that's happy eventually dies so I could have, I'm not going to lie, could have done without that twice in one movie. And then Weaver uh, wanders off and finds another one of those big bison monster things who can't move because there's a helicopter on his head. Yeah, and, she, and then she proceeds to try and lift it. She tries to lift the helicopter. Like, like, i got to be honest. Uh, you laughed My friend a lot. and I were making uh, lots of uh, Captain Marvel jokes the whole time. Of course. Like when she sees Samuel L. Jackson and he they have an acknowledgement of like, you've been in the shit. And we want her to go, also, I can shoot lasers from my hands. Oh, my God. Oh, the one time I needed to lift a helicopter and I left my Tesseract at home. Damn it. Anyways, but it does, it does give us the first of a couple moments where Brie Larson, who's entirely not a threat to anything, sort of gets a nod from King Kong, because he sees her, like, trying to lift the helicopter off, he just lifts it off, and again, really, really dismissive, just sort of chucks it aside, probably lands on, like, five or six other, like, small creatures that we don't see, the bison just sort of, like, shakes it off, and, like, fucks off, and King Kong kind of looks at Brie Larson, and, like, gives what I guess, like, a big monkey equivalent of a nod is to Brie Larson, and he fucks like off. Like, we cool, bro. Yeah. <laughs> It's the raptor, it's the raptors and the T Rex at the end of fucking yeah, Jurassic World. <laughs> oh man, uh, but it's it is that cool like, you know, King Kong's intelligent. He's making a difference between like what's a threat and what's not a threat. And yeah, there's something coming up later on that I'm gonna jump forward to King of the Monsters for, but we're not quite there yet. We go to. I've lost my place in my notes. That's how that happened. Oh, Chapman is sitting on a log, and he's eating something, and he's writing his note to his kid. And the the thing with Chapman writing his note to his kid is a joke throughout the whole movie, because anybody who's talking is like, Dear Bobby, 
we're in the shit. Billy. <laughs> Billy, You're sorry. Billy. I was close. Uh, but, yeah. So he sticks the note to a tree, and he's having a drink or something or other. And, of course, the log that he's sitting on isn't a log. It's a giant stick bug. It's a giant, like, grasshopper, whatever. And It's a stick bug. It's Groot. <laughs> if we're going to keep with the Marvel comparisons, it's four-legged Groot. And he tries to shoot this monster that's clearly made of wood. And then he's... Like shoots in the face and it looks at him like that was an asshole move. You were sitting on me. <laughs> I was trying just trying to get you to get off. I was just trying to stretch. I don't like your bum. Like it's fine. But then obviously off screen, uh, he gets killed. He's eaten by one of the skull crawlers. We still don't see it. Uh, we've only heard the skull crawler. Yeah, skull crawler definition from. Actually, no, that's not true. Because they do show, like, a random flashback of Kong fighting a couple of the Skullcrawlers while he's describing what they are. But this is the first time in current time that uh, Skullcrawler attacks somebody. And this is Chapman, and you have to remember that Chapman uh, is the guy that has all the ammunition, and Chapman is the one that Packard keeps dr driving everybody onward with, saying, this is the guy we need we to, go to go save. We have to go save him. We're not leaving somebody behind. When really, he just wants to get to all the weapons. And he's trying yeah. to sound more human by saying, I'm not going to leave my man behind. While he's walking around with a big, angry handful of dog tags, which is sad. Like, they're, they're, whenever they throw military characters into a movie, they have that built-in sort of, like, emotional amulet of, like, carrying around somebody else's dog tags to just remember this is how many people died, and then that rattling just becomes like a really sad sound. But really, he's just looking for the weapons. We have Conrad and Weaver, uh, and they're on the top of a mountain, and they're being all like contemplative about the world and looking at the Aurora Borealis through her camera, and they have their long bonding moment, and they definitely are, okay, these are the two hot people of the movie, so we're going to have them be romantic for a minute. And kind of. Like kind of. Very vague romantic. I mean... They don't kiss the entire movie. I think the only time they even have, like, a little, like, oh my god, are you okay moment is later on. Oh no, when... like, they're not, they're not, like, it's not a cheesy thing. Like, they're not sucking face and we don't assume that they're going back into the cave to shag. But, like, they're having, they're the only two characters that are really having the deep emotional, like, connection conversation. Whereas it's like, you can you can project them forward a little bit in your mind, and it's a happy thing. It's a good thing. But they're also, this is the couple of the movie. Even if they're not a couple, they are the couple of the movie. Yeah. If you get what I mean? Uh, yeah. and, and it's nice, and it's, and it's, and it's sort of feel-good, right? Not, it's not too shoved in your face. It's not. But it's but definitely like, there. It's not shoved in your face, but they are the ones in the movie doing it, and by that way, you can't help but say, okay, they're, they're the couple of the movie. Like, it's not like, a, it's not like a teen drama where there's, like, a bunch of couples, and, like, one of the couples is really sappy. Like, this is the only couple, so by definition, they're the most sappy ones, even if they're not being sappy. Like, I don't know. Anyways, like, there's no other, there's no other females in the movie, I think. Oh, there's the one, there's the one really, really skinny Asian chick that, like, hangs out with Brooks, who doesn't really do anything the whole movie. <laughs> and that's really bad, but anyways, moving on. We go back to Hank. Hank says his final goodbye to Gung Pei, uh, mentions that he was never supposed to leave his friend behind. Now let's get off this island. <laughs> 
<laughs> now let's leave him behind. Uh, Weaver and Conrad. He took his swords with him. Yeah, yeah, and it's and he knows how to use them too, which makes sense. They lived together for twenty years. You're eventually going to run out of bullets. Um, I think they, they did when they first got on the island. Fair. They uh, shot all of the bullets that they had at when each they other. First got there. Uh, Weaver and Conrad and Hank and the whole team they say goodbye to the natives and. You know, they don't, again, there's not very much, like, emotional weight to it because the, the natives seem pretty stoic, but John C. Riley does a really good job of, of saying his emotional goodbye to them, so all the emotion comes from him. John C. Riley, as much as he's known as a comedy guy, like, really does put off well the, I've been doing this for 20 years, and By oh my... By the way, also in the Avenger, in, also in the Marvel Universe, he's in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, fuck, yeah, he is, he's in the Nova Corps, isn't I he? Just, I just remembered that. Oh, my God. He's in the Nova Corps, yeah. He's the guy that calls them assholes. I, I might be an asshole, but, but, but to quote him... I I may be an asshole, I'm but I'm not a hun- I'm not a hundred percent a dick. <laughs> a dick, yeah. He's that guy, yeah. He's mm. in the movie. That's right, he is in, in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. So what you're saying is we need to find an MCU role for John Goodman. Yes. <laughs> I would love there to be an MCU role for John Goodman. I mean, Keanu Reeves might be the new Ghost Rider. That's the latest thing I heard. But John Goodman could be like if Shield was still around in the Marvel universe, which I think technically it is. If you watch, uh, if you watch Agent of Shield and whatever all that shit, he'd be like a kind of like, you know how an eighty in an eighties cop movie, there's one guy that's like, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> he would be like that Shield agent. Oh fuck! <laughs> like the guy from Die Hard. Yes. Nice. Very nice, very nice. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is in the MCU. He's another one, like John C. Riley, that was like, he was in it once and then never again, so you never remember that he's in it. So I can't even I can't even call you a not knowing John C. Riley because his, his role was even smaller. Um, anyways, so they set sail on the plane boat thing, and they're all happy because it actually works. And then, just as they're being happy, because the the whole lesson of this movie is you cannot be happy, the uh, the nerdy scientist guy that didn't want them to go there in the first place randomly gets eaten by pterodactyls? Question mark? And gets no, he gets <laughs> torn apart. Like in the sun, like they do the yeah. full like silhouette thing again, like they did to Kong, except it's a silhouette. And I will say, the entire time he's being torn apart by the pterodactyls. The one arm that he still has never lets go of his briefcase. So the briefcase never <laughs> lets go of it. You're right. Absolutely doesn't. But it's, he's it's... the guy. I knew that guy was going to die, too, because the entire time he's like, I got a wife and kid to get home, get home to. Like, I've got a family. Mm-hmm. You're well, like, well, you're fucking dead. Well, look at Packard writing the emotional note to his kids. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, don't have emotions. Don't have things to lose because you will lose them. But any any guy who does that or is like, man, I'm only like six months from retiring. Oh my god. It's it's as bad as being in Scream and saying I'll be right back. Yeah, basically. 
I'll go check this out. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I think I should go up the stairs instead of out the door. Anyways, so, Anyways. The, groups, so the groups reunite on a, on a slow basis. Um, they, they're all going to head towards the rendezvous point because that's the smart thing to do. But Packard is going to make everybody look for Chapman instead. And Packard... By the way, uh, Hank is also like, when Packard tells him which way they need to go, he's like, we should not go that way. That's where all the skull crawlers are. Like, that is a terrible idea. Oh, yeah, don't, go, like, don't go west. We, we, you can go southwest. We can talk about that. And none of them at some point are like, yeah, let's listen to the guy that's been stuck here for 20 years. Right, but they do keep going on, and it's it's almost like because the audience knows that Chapman is already dead, everything that Samuel L. Jackson says is like emphasized even more to like just stick it to the audience of like, yeah, he's looking for a guy that's dead. He's over exaggerating now, so make sure you guys get the message that he's looking for a guy that's already dead. But then they do get to, I think, one of the coolest set pieces of the whole movie, where they get to the um, the boneyard of of where Kong. all of Kong's like kind is dead. Yeah, that's full of like flammable flammable gases and all kinds of shit. Because one guy throws a cigarette and it hits the ground and explodes. And I also like the fact that uh, this is where this is again where I feel like sometimes they run out of imagination. So it's a boneyard full of like you know giant gorilla like bones. Yeah. Except that at some point one guy posts up on top of what's definitely a triceratops, a triceratops skull. Yes. And they're, and they're like, yeah, well they can't all be gorilla skulls, so just fucking I don't know, put a triceratops skull in there. It. It's definitely a Power Rangers moment with that, because, like, I watched Power Rangers when I was a kid because I was a nerd, and they definitely have the, like, um, what do you call it, uh, the woolly mammoth, like, droid or yes. zord or whatever, so when, the, when, he pop, when he pops up, like, the fully mounted machine gun on the skull of the Triceratops, I'm like, if, if that Triceratops just stood up right now and you just rode it to the boat, like, it wouldn't seem that out of place. But before that happens, um, we get a couple of other things that happen. Uh, sort of exposition dump in the middle of this action scene. But they all hide within the bones, hide behind the skulls, hide behind the rocks, whatever. And the one crawler that is sort of walking through and whatever happens to be the same... The one that ate Chapman. The one that ate Chapman. So happens to like spit out his skull. And I don't understand this. How, Not only his skull, but his dog but tag. The... Dog tags are still wrapped around the skull. The dog tag is sort of like coming out of the skull. So somewhere in the digestion process, the dog tag got wedged in his skull. But also... Very luckily. Also randomly. Also randomly, at the beginning of the movie, our first main character is Randa. Because he's driving Monarch forward. He's going to discover these monsters. Rah, rah, rah. He's a driving force of the movie. And he gets eaten here. Yep. Really, really, really unceremoniously just removed from the movie. Although I did kind of like the effect. Because basically he's taking pictures and the flash keeps going off. The flash breaks on his camera yeah. and keeps flashing. And so the thing sees him and eats him. 
But then, because it's all misty and has this, like, green mist and everything and hard to see and everything, that's how they track it, is that every once in a while, you'll see the flash go off in his stomach. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. I will say, though... It's the- very... Remember the, um... I guess it's the technically the third Jurassic Park movie that nobody talks about. Oh, the one um, where it eats the phone. It's like I, I came I came here because I could hear your phone, and all of a sudden you hear you see the yes, we know from the third Yeah, nobody talks about that Jurassic Park, but we know exactly the ringtone that we're talking about. Yes. But what I do love is when when one of the guys goes down, he's got a bunch of like supplies and whatever and one of them are these gas canisters so in amongst all the gas that's already in the area of this boneyard this green gas comes out and um what's his name conrad grabs the sword off of hank for reasons grabs a mask off of the guy that just died and there's this awesome shot oh yeah he goes to save the kid that i kept calling spider-man because he looked like a little like um tom holland like this kid yeah, like Tom Holland, like a little bit in passing. Right. Like if you looked at it from a distance, you could be like, is that is that Tom Holland? But they don't shoot it like a regular action thing, like while he's cutting through all the uh, the pterodactyls. Because, you know, pterodactyls, why not? There's a lot of slow-mo shots in this uh, movie as well. Right, but they have this, this segment where it's just, it looks completely like a left-to-right video game. Like a left-to-right, mm-hmm. like a left-to-right tracking shot. And there's nothing incredible about it, but I can't think of any other movie, at least recently, that has that, like, he's plowing forward through all the enemies, but he's going left to right. It's like old-school Mario or Sonic or whatever trying to get to the next level, and it was just... I don't know. It's It it doesn't change the, the entire scene, but it was... It's... I don't remember what we were talking about in Godzilla, but it's just different enough that it makes it stick out a lot because he just looks like he's mowing the whole fucking field at that point especially Mm -hmm. the very last one where they show the back of the dinosaur and then they just see his blade cutting through it and Mm -hmm. the the blood is like really really cartoony purple (laughs) so maybe we could have done without that that uh close-up but it's just a really and i mean tom hiddleston just out there with a sword fighting dinosaurs like say that sentence over in your head Um, in, in the pit that is all full of flammable gas, which is why we shouldn't be throwing our cigarettes and why he probably shouldn't have been using a flash on his camera. We ultimately kill a bunch of the monsters with flamethrowers. Yep. (laughs) I I don't really need to say anything else about that. Um, Chapman goes on about this thing, but we still got to find Chapman. We still got to find Chapman. Um, and they bring him Chapman's thing and the the mask kind of slips a little bit from his character and it's like well we're not going home we're still gonna kill kong like regardless of chapman he's still not leaving because he still wants to kill kong which is fine because then we just we get to chapman's helicopter and this is where all the army guys that have been following packard are looking at each other like what the fuck i think our boss has lost his fucking shit but they grab the napalm they grab the weapons they grab the explosives and whatever Weaver and Conrad go the other way. They're having another little moment on a cliff, and King Kong comes back, and he gets pet on the nose by Brie Larson. I mean, there's worse ways to spend your evening. Yes, this is where her and uh, Conrad have their moment of like, oh, are you okay? 
Yeah. And it is it is pretty shot for shot. Oh no, with... that's not it. That's that's later. Later. That's later. Sorry, I'm ahead. Right. Uh, but it's it's just funny because I think about like there's certain shots and certain moments that are obviously meant to make you think of other movies. This right here is exactly the same, or it's shot exactly the same as the kid in King of the Monsters when Mothra hatches. And she's out there, like, just, I'm right in front of a monster that could kill me, but instead It's also of... the same in King and the Monster, where Shirazawa walks up to Godzilla. Oh, yes, that's true, too. Um, no, I was just thinking about the kid, because the whole, like, pet on the nose thing... Well, Shirazawa's about to die in the moment that you're talking about, I think. Spoiler alert! Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, um... I know you've got much more detailed Easter eggs than I do, but I just there's certain scenes that are intentionally shot like other scenes that make the movies seem coherent. There's another one I'm gonna get to yeah. in a little bit, but it's just it's so similar. It's this it's this second nod from King Kong, like I know you guys aren't the assholes type thing, and and there's there's something to that. But um, they send the rest of the military guys that are with them. And the skinny Asian chick whose name I can't remember, and Brooks, all back to the boat, and Hank and Conrad and Weaver are going to face off with Packard and stop him from killing Kong because he's not really the bad guy, and Packard lights up the water with the napalm and thinks he's burned down King Kong, except King Kong, like, walks through the fire, like, go fuck yourself, and... Not only that, but then he, like... My favorite part of this whole thing is when he walks to the fire and everything, and then he gets he takes his hand and splashes it through the water and like throws the napalm onto somebody here. Like, bitch, see how it feels like. <laughs> but eventually, and talk talk about one movie to the next. We have the Godzilla moment where King Kong collapses. Oh, God, what are we going to do? King Kong's dead, except he's not. Um, Packard's men basically realize that he's wrong because he, want, he wants to set off more bombs so that the Skull Crawlers will come and finish off Kong. Big standoff between all of them. And the young guy, the young guy whose name I can't think of right now, actually turns his gun on Packard for the first time. And it's just like, all right, whatever, because he's got the detonator in his hand. That standoff sort of goes nowhere because the big one arrives and Kong wakes up and Packard is about to, you know, he does that, that Samuel L. Jackson thing. Die, you mother smack. He just like Kong. He does. He crushes Samuel L. Jackson and it's awesome. Like, to the point where we backed up the video and watched and it again. It again. But you know what it is? That's not even a death. That's just, like, a King Kong is done with your shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get the announcement, uh, or we get the arrival, story of the big one. And this is where we get into the fight. This is where we get, um, very much like Godzilla, where the humans are, uh, are have figured out who the good guy monster is. So they're, they're shooting bullets at the Skullcrawler, because that's super effective but the one guy and this is where you get the little mini story arc that sort of comes out of nowhere the rest of them are going for the boat the rest of them are trying to escape my favorite guy cole is there he's like you yeah there there's a there's a scene in the show in the movie where he talks about how he uh 
how he carries a uh, an AK-47 and, and instead of he has an M16, but he uses an AK-47 instead because he like took it off of somebody. And it's like they weren't really my enemy until I made them my enemy. But if they come back, I've still got yeah. their gun. <laughs> Yeah, and he also has his the, like the really bad way that his mom told him the story about the lion, the thorn, and the mouse or whatever. And it's like, oh, they all became great friends. Yes, the and... lion, the the mouse pulling the thorn from the lion's paw, and then in his version, the mouse but... kills the lion with it. Yeah, it's kind of bad. But he tries to have his like big emotion. You in a way, you kind of want to slap the movie at this point for trying to wring an emotional moment out of what is now clearly a monster fight. But he stops and he's got the and gritty... the funny guy. Yeah, but he well, he's the guy that's been played off the whole time as like not giving a damn and being kind of an idiot. So he's going to make this final sacrifice. So he's go on and live your lives, which in a emotional movie would be the emotional point but they all fuck off and he's gonna go like he's standing there with the and i'm making the motions in my hands even though nobody can see me um he's got the two bombs in his hands and he's waiting for the thing to come and instead of having this big you know all all consuming sacrifice moment he just gets tail bitch slapped into the mountain which is awesome because in godzilla when he was fighting the first, the smaller Mudo, he takes out the first Mudo by tail bitch slapping him into a building. And it's such a callback. Yeah, it's, almost, it's almost like the, uh, and also it's almost like the, 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 uh, the skull crawler is like, oh shit, that guy's gonna try and blow me up. Boom. It's like, uh, nope. His sacrifice. Nope. Not falling for that shit. Yeah. The, the, the Titans don't take any shit. Like, let's be fair for a second. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, again, it's one of those, like, you know, Brie Larson touching Godzilla on the nose, and then the kid touching Mothra on the nose, Godzilla bitch-slapping Amuto into a building, the Skullcrawler bitch-slapping this dude that's trying to make this noble sacrifice into a mountain, so that not only does he go splat, he goes splat and boom. <laughs> uh, so just make his death extra, extra pointless. Yep. So... But now I should say, though, the, the narrative of the story, like, watching this the first time was was weird, right? And, I mean, when we get to the post-credit, we're going to talk about it in a second, you never know, like, every movie that has a big ensemble cast, it still has a mean character. And you go into the movie and you think it's Randa, right? Because he's... And he, it is not. <laughs> and it is not. And then it's like, okay, even though he's kind of an asshole, probably the bad guy of the movie, okay, if he's not the the, the main Basically character... Basically, it's Conrad. Conrad is the main Conrad's character. Conrad's the main character. But, like, you, it goes from Randa to Packard, right? Because Packard is, mm -hmm. like, the, even though he's doing it all wrong and he's, like, lost his shit, he is the next biggest sort of character. And then he gets just literally squashed. Uh, you know, got, King Kong is done with your shit. And so now you're down to, like, the, just the monsters fighting, which, you know, stereotypically is what the crowd wants to see. Anyway, and, the, and you know, the audience picks a side, and, and it's all good. Uh, Kong and the big one fight. They're, the use of weapons from these animals is kind of great, because he grabs that tree, and he just strips it until it's just like a nightstick. Yeah. And he just cracks it over the friggin' Skullcrawler's face. But, um... He the, does that later too when he uh, falls into one of the like busted up ships that's that's over yes. there, and like a chain gets attached to a a, a rudder, a propeller, like a, yeah, a, a, a propeller rudder, and uh, like uses it as a like basically a a, a flail or a uh, 
Like a nunchuck almost. A, nu- a nunchuck uh, with a bladed end. For yeah. lack for lack of a better like you don't know. And then what- he uses his brass knuckles later. He like wraps yeah. the chain around it and starts punching him in the face with just the propeller part. Yep. And then, like I say, the humans are, are helping the, the good guy, Kong. And I guess Kong does get to be the good guy there, because it's not in... Like I say, i got to go back to the Godzilla comparison once again. Godzilla fighting the Mudos, there's going to be a whole lot of death happening around them. King Kong gets to be the good guy, because they're not in a populated area. It's like Batman versus Superman is fighting, but it's okay, they're at the Gotham docks and there's nobody there. Exactly. There's, there's nobody there. By the way, there's nobody there. Um, but he even uh, saves Brie. He even saves Brie Larson. Oh, but it's only to pay her back though, because she gets off the luckiest shot in monster fight history from the <laughs> ground. <laughs> shoots, shoots the skull crawler in the eye with the flare, and well, it it's sticks like the, there. It's like in the side of its head. It almost like when it first lands, it doesn't like respond. So it's almost like a wasp landed on its face and then stung him and he's like ah oh, motherfucker that hurt i want to be so big that somebody shooting a flare directly into my eye socket doesn't bother me that much like that's the thing it lands like near his eye socket yeah but it it goes in it and it knocks her or sorry kong throws the skull crawler into the mountain that she was standing on she gets knocked into the water he and knocked out clearly knocked out clearly he picks her up out of the water. Now he's fighting with her in his hand. Doesn't get crushed, Wait, obviously. Not only that, but, like, the Skullcrawler wake, wakes up again after the last fight, after the last punch or whatever, and then gets Kong's almost up to his elbow, whole arm up yeah. to his elbow, the arm that Brie Lawson's yes, in. Yes, that was what I, that was what, when I rewatched it this weekend, that was what I didn't. Real, I don't think I realized last time I watched this is yeah, the it's arm. Yeah, the hand that she's in. Yeah, because like, I, oh fuck, you're trying to pull it, pull it out. I always and thought that like he's he's fight out. he's fighting it with the other arm because he's got Brie Larson in one hand. Because obviously Brie Larson doesn't just get crushed in his hand. Never mind, it's fine. Um, but not only does he have her in his hand in this thing's throat, but the kill shot. We talk about the kill shot in Godzilla, where he basically grabs him by the face and, like, pukes fire down his face until the rest of his body melts away. Pretty decent kill shot, right? But the kill shot here is he's got the hand down the throat pull and sort of pulls out its entire insides by its tongue so that the hollow shell of its body just hits the ground. It's a pretty good kill shot. It's, it's, it's it extremely effective awesome looking. It is a kill shot. And then, again, much like Godzilla, you know, the fight's over, Godzilla puts the girl down, and just sort of fucks off. Yeah, he's just like... Alright, that's the end of me. Alright, that's the end of me. It is very much the the raptor and the T-Rex just sort of nodding at each other and everybody going back to their own corners again. Um... They're they're driving away. They're floating away. Uh, they're talking about oh, I guess it's time to get out of here. They've been talking the whole time about going to the Florida Keys when they were done. And if somebody says like you know is it is it this way to the Keys? And yeah, the the helicopter is coming o- over the storm in the distance to pick them up. And Godzilla, literally Godzilla walking uh, away. King Kong. Sorry, King Kong. King, King Kong. I'm an idiot. It's fine. King Kong, behind the mountain, walking away, hearing the helicopters, and literally pokes his head around, 
from behind the They're mountain. More motherfuckers. From, but it's just like, it's just like, what's it called? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's like, are you still here? Go home. Go home. But he po- pokes his head back around the mountain with this like. I, I I thought he had a look of there better not be more of those motherfucking helicopters. That's when I'm all tired. the bullshit started these last three days. Okay, in in honor of Samuel L. Jackson being dead in this movie, I'm tired of these motherfucking humans motherfucking on island. my motherfucking island. Motherfucking island. <laughs> but he just he just. I really I we we made those jokes too. We were like Samuel L. Jackson at some point's gonna be like I'm tired of this motherfucking ape on this motherfucking island. Um, but yeah, he does a big roar, because that's what you do, because uh, he's not Godzilla, he can't spit shit into the sky, so he just does the big chest thump thing, and then it fades out, and it fades out, but it fades back into what is actually the end of the movie, which is a really... It's so awesome. It's so awesome, but... Well, before, okay, I'll, 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 let, I'll, before, I'll let you talk about it first. Well, before, so... Uh, when John C. Riley first sees, uh, what's her name? Mason Weaver. Weaver. He talks about how, like, pretty she is and there's not a lot of women or whatever. And, like, she looks better than a, yep. a beer and a hot dog from, from, uh, I forget what park it is. Wrigley um, Field, I think. Wrigley Field. Uh, and he's, like, holding and looking at him miming. Uh, a beer and a hot dog like he's holding a beer and holding a hot dog and like staring at his empty hands and going but you're real right that part is important because <laughs> at the end of the movie um they show him coming out of a taxi and he has like flowers and they talked about earlier in the movie um if he like that he had like a wife they got hitched right before he got deployed for world war Two. And the day before he crashed, his son was born, and uh, they say, are you going to go try and look for them? And, 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 you know, somebody tries – one of the army guys goes, you know that she's probably moved on and shit, right? <laughs> and Tom Hiddleston's like, dude, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> yeah, basically, Tom Hiddleston's like, dude, fucking harsh. Yeah. She, you, you'd be surprised how often people wait, and he's like, yeah, I don't really – like – that doesn't really bother me. Like I just, I just like want one more them. chance to see them. Like I'd just like to see, I'd just like one more chance to see them. Well, his whole thing was and I think she, I'd be okay with that. She was she was pregnant when he deployed, so he's like I've got a full grown man out there that I've never even met. Like talking about yeah. his son, and uh, and he just talks about like I, I I just like a chance to a chance to meet him, and they do this thing right, and I don't want to sell and it looks like it's on like old like camera reel film right now this is a really nice scene so i want you to say anything nice that you want to say about this scene before i come along and be an asshole so. um i i really like the scene i mean he you know he sees his wife again and he sees his kid and they're like oh my god he's alive kind of it's very like like you know generic nice and everything i like the part where he's sitting in the living room with a beer and a hot dog watching the cubs on tv okay that fair. was that was my favorite that was that was my favorite part that i know the emotional part he's oh he means, he means his kid and whatever but like that was like that's yeah, the only part that talks to us that knew, knew him before. Yeah. So here's my point, right? And somebody else said this to me around the time the movie came out, and it sort of ruined the scene for me a little bit. The rest of the movie is shot like a regular movie. 
This is the only part of the movie that's shot like almost like a found footage thing. Like it looks like he just brought somebody with him with a camcorder to videotape him being reunited with his family and whatever, right? Which is which is a nice thing. It would it would be a logical keepsake that you would want if you've just met your family again for the first time. But now you have to believe that the person holding that camera is a character in the movie, that it's not a movie camera. So how does it switch when the door opens to a camera that's inside the house? And everybody's yeah, acting surprised. It doesn't, but it, it it's one of those things where it's like, I see you did a really, really cool thing there, and it's now, now it's a handheld camera, except it can't be. That's the only little thing, and yes, it's a nitpick, and yes, I'm an incredible asshole shitting on what is otherwise an, am- yeah, an, an immensely emotional, really good scene. And he's got himself all shaved up different and weird too i don't really get it but i mean that's what you do when you haven't seen your family and well, he had a shave and a haircut <laughs> yeah well he shaves on the island he's yeah, like he shaves on the with island. like with like somebody's random knife or something but so that's 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 a bit cheesy but it's the right kind of cheesy so i don't mind now we get to the post credit scene and the post-credit scene has Weaver and Conrad in what looks like an interrogation room at first, and the two of them going nuts. And He's like, "I promise I won't tell the Russians." She's like, "I'll tell the Russians." Because <laughs> she's out there to be like the justice warrior, and she's like, "I don't care. I'll tell the truth." And he's, if if he's they like, thought, "God damn it, I want out of this room." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Okay, we get it. There was no island." There was never an island. It's fine. But then the ones that come in are Brooks and the other CNE Asian chick who I don't I don't know her name. She doesn't do anything in the whole movie. But basically no. they come out with a bunch of documents, start op- emptying out all these files, you know, things that are obviously Godzilla related, Kong related, other things related. They start doing the slideshow because slideshow is the preferred method of expedition in these mo- exposition, sorry, in these movies. For for uh for Monarch, anytime you're bring put into Monarch, they they do a slideshow. And they said, "Look at them." Like anytime the- Monarch is explaining anything to anybody, it is with a slideshow. Yeah. Even even in 2020 when we get Kong versus Godzilla, it's still going to be like an 80s slideshow. And you know what? Yes. I'm kind of okay with that. Don't don't put it on to like PowerPoint. Don't put it into somebody. They don't have time to digitize all those old photos. That's true too. Um, but basically, there's more out there. What you don't know is the island was just the beginning. Kong is not the only king. Welcome to Monarch. And then the last couple of shots are various monsters from King of Monsters. Like uh, I can't think of any other names. You, you know the names better than I do. Uh, Ghidorah. Uh, they show Rodan. They show. Uh, they show Monster um, Zero. Ghidorah. They show King Ghidorah. They show uh, Mothra. Mothra. Which are really the only ones they have the rights to. The rest of them, the rest of the monsters that they that are in like the Godzilla universe, they don't have the rights to yet, or or so they say, which I will talk about in the next one. Right, um, and then sort of like the last shot is Ghidorah's the three-headed thing, right? Yes. So the last thing they see yeah. is was sort of like an old-looking sketch of Godzilla head-to-head with Ghidorah, and then the scene slams to black, and as it slams to black, you hear the Godzilla roar, 
and there is yes like it's absolutely like you almost because it's very avengers like with the with the with crossing the movies and everything you almost want it to be like king kong will return in the next yeah it's so it's so sequel baby but it's in all the right but really it's sequel baby at the very end of the movie other than the monarch thing they never like oh there's a but there's never like a big lot of like there's a bunch of other shit out there other than I, John, other than uh, John Goodman's character being like monsters are real. Yeah, and you get the idea that like they he, don't ever say Godzilla, they don't mention Godzilla, they don't mention. The only other, the only other thing. Technically, the uh, the thing with Godzilla at the beginning of Godzilla, this happens. The thing where uh, the thing uh, where uh, uh, Hank and the Japanese guy. Crash, that happens a year before the Godzilla thing from the beginning of the Godzilla movie. Right. Uh, they well, they do leave things open ended, and you don't realize it's open ended until you go farther into this series. But like, even when John Goodman's character is talking about like the boat, the big boat massacre that he survived, he doesn't ever specifically say what did it he just says he knows that there are monsters well there's there. a and there's a picture of the boat and it looks like it's been like ripped up it, it looks it looks like it's been clawed like if but it was it could if, lo- but it could have been ripped up by kong is what it sort of looks like it looks like somebody took the wrong clip from another movie and it's like any time uh wolverine has left the three claw mark on anything except it's yeah, gigantic um this is really good. Um, as we've we've touched on before, and I'm I'm trying to wrap it up here a little bit. Um, this movie gets helped out a lot more, and it helps stick out a lot more because of the cast. Um, yes, I feel like it's a better movie because of the cast. But like I said earlier, there are definitely um, there's definitely some CGI issues where they were clearly. Like eighty percent of the budget went into making Kong look great, and then everything <laughs> else stuck. Everything else like, in. Yeah, they just kind of had everything else in and put like a little above minimum. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say really because this is obviously. This but is I what... but I still really liked it. The things that bother me don't bother me. Don't make me as angry as the bomb guy who never diffuses a bomb in the entire fucking movie. I mean, bombs in general. At least more... everyone that's at least everyone that they bring on there for whatever their purpose is does, does their that job. Thing. Does that thing? Conrad yeah. tracks. Brie Larson takes pictures. Samuel Jackson's the army guy. Randa is Randa is the heart guy, of the group, I the guess. The geology guy even like fucking like tells them about geology shit. shit. Yes. You know the the subterranean guy Brooks like gets to tell his Hollow Earth thing, and yeah, the, the, they the, all do the thing that they're supposed to do. And it's funny because even the even even stuff, if it is the bare minimum of the thing they're supposed to do, they do that thing. Yes. 
and it's funny because you look at something like Brooks with the Hollow Earth theory, and the Hollow Earth theory would definitely contribute if you if you're watching this movie and you look backwards to Godzilla. Well, yeah, the Earth must have been hollow because look at all the creatures that were hiding in it, like Ghidorah or not Ghidorah, um, Mudo. Well, and it comes up in uh, King of the Monsters as well, the Hollow Earth theory. Oh yeah, I know. I just like with it being. Part I just of the... I didn't want to go into it until we decide to do that one. For sure, which will probably be in like two weeks. The way things are going these days. Yeah, the, that'll work. The world is still closed, so. Um, I had a thought. I had a I had a thing and it was going no um being the middle movie I mean obviously there's going to be a fourth movie but as it exists right now it's a trilogy um the middle movie in a trilogy has a really weird spot like it has a really weird job to fill like it has to lend credence to the movie that came before it and it needs to get you ready for the next one now getting ready for the next one is simple they throw in that post credit scene audience is ready to go but if you want to I liked that it wasn't too heavy handed on the references forward to King of the Monster you know what though it wasn't uh, I think they could have done more if they chose to and it still would have been under that bar of okay you guys are being a bit heavy like and like I said I you know I like the fact that like maybe I'll go back and watch all these again or something when we go back you you find some other Easter egg that like mm -hmm. I definitely wouldn't have noticed like in the next movie that Brooks is in it as as a much older guy yeah. still in Monarch at that point. Yeah, well, in the in the third one, we bring uh, Sarazawa back from the first one, and if Brooks is there from the second one, then we've we've sort of pulled that pulled that thread together. That way, even though the main characters of the next movie, I'm going to give you guys a bit of a spoiler right now. The main family in King of the Monsters doesn't hold a patch to the cast in this. No. No, like, they're all a bit whiny and a bit shit. And it definitely does go back to the Godzilla of it all, where the focus when is definitely more we, on the monsters. When we talk about King of the Monsters, I'll tell you who my favorite characters are. And they're not the main characters. No. No, no, no. But, uh, no, but like I say, like, to set up for that next movie, it did that with the post credit scene in a very, very obvious way. But in slight little ways, like Brooks mentioning the Hollow Earth theory, you can look backwards at Godzilla and be like, oh, I guess that's, uh, if he had been there to tell them about the Hollow Earth theory, they might have known that there was monsters there. So it does its job. It does its job incredibly well. And I've said the cast is better in this. The more enjoyable movie overall, I'm probably going to say, is King of the Monsters, just because there's a lot of, like, boom and flash and ooh and ah in that movie. Like It the... has what you want in a monster movie, which is more monsters fighting and wrecking shit. Right. But if the cast, if this cast was in the that... The cast is much better than in both the other movies. Yeah. I wish... I, I'm not going to lie. I wish there were more. I... I... I, like I say, I didn't realize the Brooks thing. Thanks for pointing that out to all of us. I wish there were more characters that carried over into the third one. Like, even if we just got, like, say, Conrad from the first one and Ford. Or, or sorry, Conrad from this one and Ford from the first one. Make up something dumb, like, the government is getting together an advisory board and we want everybody that's ever dealt with these before, and there's your built-in reason to, like, sort of pick whatever cast members you want. They they don't do as much of that as I would like in the third one, but hopefully that's going to happen yeah. in the fourth. 
Um, I really don't have anything else to say. Uh, in the meantime, uh, as I said, programming note, I'm going to be putting up some of the older reviews. This is going to go up this Tuesday. Obviously, you guys are listening this Tuesday right now. The following Tuesday, I'm going to be re-uploading our review of Captain America Civil War, which is actually an Avengers movie. The sound Look, quality. It is not an Avenger mo- Avengers movie. I'm gonna give it's everybody. It's one of the. It's one of the few reviews that we are like. I feel like both of us are like very different opinions on. Which is fine, and I mean, but that, I mean, ultimately that comes down to you like Cap and I like Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, I will say to anybody that's going to be listening. Next week, I did rip this from an old Google Hangout. I did try to clean up the sound as best I can. It still isn't the greatest, so maybe you listen. You can only do so much. Yeah, maybe listen at your own risk. There's a couple others me and Kristen have talked about that I actually did over on your channel way back in the day. So mm-hmm. um, back when we called that back when it was on my show and it was called Movie Recap. Back when it was Movie Recap, so it'll actually be Kristen hosting and me not talking nearly as much as I do now. Um, we got Suicide Squad there, um, and you're gonna try and find the audio from Jurassic World. I am. I'm gonna try to. I think it's still up on my old SoundCloud. Well, that's good. Anyways. So I might try and get it off that. So now you guys are just listening to us having our production meeting, which I'm sure is enthralling yeah, basically. for all of us. Anyways, I don't really have much to say about this other than it's really good. Uh, the cast is awesome, and Marvel has entered the monster. It's good verse. for what it is. It's good for what it is. Anyways, it tell- the, is probably the best version of what it could be. Tell them where to find you. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at Black Cat Feline. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Black Cat Feline, but it'll mostly be pictures of cows and baby goats. I mean, that's that's something we can use. Those them. are things we need. Those are things we need in these times. Those are hashtag essential. Um, mm-hmm. Hit guys, hit either of us up on Twitter, Facebook, if you're looking for people to talk to. These are still some pretty shitty times that we're in. I hope you guys are all doing okay. I really do thank you for for listening. If you guys want to find me at Spaz Phoenix One on Twitter, at Spaz Phoenix on Instagram, the Spaz Phoenix Podcast Facebook group is up and going, even though I haven't put very much on it and if not you can always come leave a comment here join the conversation about whatever we're talking about at the time but for now i've been spaz she's been christian this has been flicks flicks fix there we go subscribe up there talk down there start a conversation keep all these conversations going don't be a stranger we'll talk to each and every last one of you later but for right now myself and christian we are out of here guys we'll talk to you later bye guys don't